Welcome to Capital Close-Up on WKXLAM and FM in Concord and 101.9 in Manchester. I am your host, Paul Hodes, and we are brought to you by the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord, New Hampshire. Two great venues with great shows happening all the time. Check out the website at ccanh.com. And we are podcast wherever you find your podcasts on all platforms. So if you're listening by podcast, like us, subscribe, follow us, do all those social media things that help us grow the show. Well, I'm really pleased to welcome to Capital Close-Up, Wayland Bunnell of the Concord Community Players. We're going to be talking about the players' latest production coming up soon we're going to give you details about the play its director its its author uh, where you can see it and when we're going to cover all that and who knows maybe a little bit more so wayland welcome to capital close-up well good morning paul and thank you very much for having us again and me yeah well you know I'm always fascinated by people. I mean, the show is ostensibly about various events and things and happenings and news, but it's people that really get, get, get me going. I like to know. So tell us, I want to know a little bit about you. Um, How long have you been working with the Concord community players? Well, believe it or not, it's been almost 40 years. Oh my! Like it's thirty-nine years. Uh huh. So that that that's a that's a good run. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like a second career for me. Yeah, um, and, I and how did? Back, yeah, go ahead. I started back in the mid '80s, um, being a set designer for our first production of Annie, um, and I had no theater background at all. I'd never taken a course or read a book, but somebody suggested I could design a set, so I said sure, and I designed the set for Annie and then just kept going. And I've done virtually every theater job that exists and um, got interested in directing and became a director for the players. And uh, here I am. This is, I don't know, this has got to be my 15th or 20th show. I don't count. That's a, it's, it's so amazing. I mean, it's just, it's amazing, but it is, it's exactly the kind of story that makes the community players in Concord such an extraordinary organization, but such an incredible opportunity for people who um, uh, can come in, as you said, with no experience and learn every imaginable theater job and, 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 and get to direct shows and be in shows and design shows. I, I have a question, though. So, so there you are. 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago, and you are designing a theater set. Um, How did you go about figuring out how to design a theater set? Because it's not easy. I mean, I studied a lot of theater. I did a lot of theater at one point in, in my life. But if somebody had asked me to design a set, that would have been a really challenging task for me i'm i'm not that visually oriented i'm kind of more semantically inclined and how did you go about figuring out how to do that well i um 
this will come in handy later, but I grew up in way, the, way northern New Hampshire, primarily in Colebrook, New Hampshire. Uh, my father was a plumbing, heating, and electrical contractor. It was a, he was his own business. He was self-employed, but he was also a carpenter. And when I was in high school, we actually built our house. Um, so I had developed a lot of skills over the years. Um, but, and I also did theater in junior high and high school. I did seven plays in an opera in high school and an operetta in junior high. So I performed, um, well, that sort of, you know, young, stupid version of performing. I just learned the lines and where to be on stage. That's all I did. Um, and then I that's went all, to UNH. That's a, by the way, that, that's all most people ever get to is learning yeah. lines and standing on stage. So, so, so don't feel bad about that. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's how you get your start. Right. Yeah. No, I don't feel bad about it at all. They were all wonderful. I had a lot of fun doing them. Um, yeah. But being from a small town, I ended up going to UNH and I went into the Paul Creative Arts Center and saw the Johnson Theater. And I was so intimidated by how big and how beautiful it was that I did not try out for plays. I did not become part of the theater department. Simply because as a small town kid, completely intimidated by this grand theater. Um, I didn't get back into theater until my mid thirties. Um, when So when you, well, before we get back to theater in the mid thirties, let's go back. So, so you were so intimidated by the size and scope of the theater at UNH that you said, I can't do this. I can't. Exactly. Be, oh my. Yeah. Oh my, that must, that must have been a kick in the head. Yeah, I, was, I just felt I wasn't qualified, wasn't good enough, didn't know enough. It was, it was just too, too big and too beautiful. And so I just stopped. I didn't even try out so, for a play. So what'd you do at well, UNH? I, I did all my majors at UNH. You know, I, I, uh -huh. I went through my college with a variety of majors and um, ended up at, as a... At, at one point, you wanted to be a doctor. Yeah, I started out in pre-med. I tell people I majored in the letter P. I started out in pre-med and then I went to philosophy and then I went to psychology and finally ended up as pottery major. So I had a pottery studio for 15 years here in Manchester and did pottery. Wow. I mean, wait a second. I'm, 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 I'm caught up short because so you're a theater guy in high school and you have carpentry skills. Well, I suppose if you're pre-med, carpentry skills come in handy if you're going into surgery. Um, but then you move from pre-med to philosophy. So I'm always fascinated by people who, who are searching in college and use college as a place to search, which I think, frankly, is is less prevalent than it ought to be because I think college is the perfect place um, and ought to be the safe place for people to explore their interests. So I absolutely applaud your your search at U, at UNH for for the major and for any folks who, who are listening who might be thinking about college, going to college, being in college, I highly recommend using it as that kind of place. But it's quite a, a switch in terms of focus from pre-med to philosophy. Right, but I um, I guess um, I grew up in such an insulated area. The Northern part of New Hampshire is really separate kind of from the rest of the state and the rest yep. of the world. The North um, country. It's the way North country. And right. I remember my first year of college, I can remember feeling my brain expand. I mean, it was actually 
it sort of hurt, you know, because it was like the whole world was in front of me and I'd never seen it before. Wow. So there was just this great expansion going on in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to figure things out and I thought maybe philosophy is a good place to figure things out. And then I went into psychology because I thought that might be a good place to figure things out. Um, I had 28 undergraduate credits in psychology. Um, and I was living in the dorm and bringing home term papers and writing essays and writing reports. And some guy down the hall had taken a pottery class and was bringing home pieces of pottery. And that made so much more sense to me. So I switched my major to pottery or ceramics and uh, became a potter because I work with my hands. I like making things, like building things, always have. And that, so that's how that kind of happened. Are you still throwing pots? No, no, I stopped. 40 years ago, 39 uh -huh. years ago. Oh, my. And um, and uh, if I'm correct, you have sold or spent a career or made a business of selling vintage popular sheet music. Right. And, yeah. I went from pottery to popular sheet music. Yet another P. <laughs> and, uh, that's right. Pop, pop from pottery, pottery to pop. So what is vintage vintage pop sheet music? Well, what, what does it comprise? Well, it's the it was the music that was published in the primarily the late 19th and through the 20th century that people bought to use with their pianos. You know, it was just piano music. So popular songs of the day. Um, and then like Broadway shows and, and movies would publish songs from the shows and movies. Um, so um, it's just a wide field There's instrumental music as well. Piano solo music. Um, but it's popular. It's not classical or sacred or choral or, you know, band mm -hmm. music. It's just popular piano vocal music. Are, are you selling it online? Selling it in a store? Selling how 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 is it sold? No, I have customers all over the country, and I actually still send out a list. I have two kinds of lists. I have an auction list where people have to bid it on rare stuff, and I have a set price list where it's just like a catalog. You can just order the titles you want and buy them. Wow. Yeah. So, so what kinds of people are customers, or what kinds of organizations are customers? Well, I have a lot of I have a lot of musicians that are customers, people that actually play piano. Then some are collectors, um, who if, you know, if you collect, then you understand collecting. If right. you don't collect, you don't. Yeah. Uh, but some people like they'll collect a topic, like they'll collect pictures of automobiles on sheet music, or they'll collect a certain celebrity, or some people collect composers, some people collect cover artists. Um, you know, there's every reason in the world to collect sheet music and everything is on sheet music, no matter what subject you come up with, there's sheet music about it. Right. Well, so we're going to turn to uh, the current production. Um, you have put together and directed uh, a production for the Concord Community Players of a play called Last Gas uh, by a playwright named John Cariani. Um, it was originally planned for February of 2021. What happened? Well, I saw a little thing called COVID happened. <laughs> oh, man. So, so uh, that set things back a little bit, did it? Yes. Yeah, we moved it twice. We moved it. It was going to be in February. We moved it to May. And then we moved it. Um, then we had to move it again. We moved it ahead a whole year. So it's now it's this May. Um it opens May 6th, and we have three performances. And uh, so the it's going to be uh, performed May 6th, 7th, and 8th, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And that's going to be at the Concord City Auditorium, the hallowed and vaunted Concord City Auditorium. Um, what time do the shows go on? Uh, Friday and Saturday nights there at 730 and there's a Sunday matinee at 2. Right. And if people will talk about this some more, I want to make sure people know how to get tickets. How, how can folks get tickets to the show? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website. Um, it's www.communityplayersofconcord.org. Um, and there's, there are links on the, the homepage to, about Last Gas and where to go. To get, you can buy tickets online. Or you can go to the box office. So um, the playwright, John Cariani, uh, has become very well known. He's an actor and a playwright. Uh, and he hails from way up, way up north. Um, and the, the play is set way up north in a kind of town that sounds like you're kind of familiar with from your early upbringing. So tell us, let's start with um, a little bit about the play. And uh, then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the playwright and who's in the show, and we'll get to all those kinds of things. So what is Last Gas? Well, Last Gas, well, in way northern Maine, there are a lot of un unincorporated towns. They don't have names. This one happens to be T-18-R-6, I think. Um, <laughs> there are a lot, so of what, a lot of squares up there, and they're all kind of unincorporated areas. Um, well, so, we're, ta we're talking about uh, Rustic County in Maine, which, right. which I think is something like the largest county in geographical size east of the Mississippi. It's like it's the Arusta County in Maine. For for those who may be familiar uh, or unfamiliar, is is larger than Rhode Island and Connecticut put together in terms of its geographical area. But generally, it seems to be populated more by moose and trees. <laughs> then people and and what you're telling us is that there are so many little little places up there that they're that they're unincorporated and just known by numbers not even names that's right yeah john cariani grew up in presque isle which is a town right at the top of maine sure um, so he um his most famous play is almost maine which a lot of people have seen uh set in the same area um, uh -huh. dealing somewhat with the same issues. Um, but it's what I call a vignette play. It's a series of 11 little stories about 11 different couples. Um, we produced it 10 years ago at the at the city auditorium. Um, Last Gas is a full-length two-act play set in the same area. Uh, the title refers to the fact that it's set at a convenience store where the owners live upstairs. And it's the last place you can get gas or supplies before you go to Canada. So that's why it's called Last Gas. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, tell us a little bit about what happens in the, in the play. What, what's um, it about? Well, there's a, the family that owns the store is named Parody, but it's P-A-R-A-D-I-S, but it's a French-Canadian family uh, pronounced Parody. Um, the, the grandfather, uh, Dwight, who's played by Eric Stanley, um, owns the store and lives upstairs. Uh, his son, Nat, who's turning 41 the next day, um, also lives upstairs, but he spends his time running the store. Um, he has a, 
Um, he has a best friend guy who's kind of hanging around all the time. And um, he has a son named Troy. So there are three generations in the play. Um, the son was the unfortunate connection between Nat and a, another character named Cherry Tracy Pulsifer. The script refers to him as the love child. And uh, Cherry Tracy is a forest ranger um, and fancies herself the law. She's always running around writing summonses for anything she finds she doesn't like. And um, she's the primary um, caregiver for Troy. She's raising Troy pretty much as a single mom. And Troy goes to visit his dad on the weekends. Um, and then um, a woman who grew up up there and was Nat's high school girlfriend comes home. It, the play takes place in the middle of May and Lorene comes home from New York um, to bury her mother who died the previous November. And as everybody knows in the North country, if you die in the late fall and the ground is frozen, you have to wait to bury in the spring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, There's yeah. a whole subplot about that. Uh, did I get all the characters? <laughs> I, I think we've got, so we've got Dwight, the grandfather, uh, yeah. who I understand likes dating young and Canadian is, as, as, yes, as, as, as something I read said, uh, that's his fancy, but uh, his store is run, the store is run by Nat, who uh, had a child, Troy, with Cherry Tracy, um, who is the, uh, the marshal in town. Um, and, uh, Troy's got Troy's got some ideas probably about what he wants to do with his life. Um, yeah, like a lot of young people in the North, he really wants to get out of there and go do something, go somewhere and do something and be somebody. Yeah, um, where a lot of people in town are are content to just kind of stay. Yeah, and so uh, and the complication seems to be that Loreen shows up, uh, high school high school girlfriend of Nat. She shows up in town, and I'm betting there's a bit of wry humor, some love interests, uh, love lost, love found, that kind of thing. Right, and there's some rivalry between Lorene, the old girlfriend, and Cherry Tracy, the mother of Troy. Um, mm, I bet. There's also some rivalry with the, the best friend Guy because he's purchased Red Sox tickets in Boston, for Nat's birthday. So he wants to take Nat on a road trip and go watch a Red Sox game because the right, Sox so that, are playing the Yankees. It's a big oh, deal for oh, Sox man. fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like, that's an eight hour trip though from the Canadian border. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So they're planning, a, they're planning a big trip. And uh, are there moose? Is there maple syrup? Well, no, there, there's probably maple syrup in the store. But um, moose are mentioned a number of times. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's a big theme for for a play set in northern Aroostook County, almost almost to the Canadian border, right? right? There are a couple of collisions actually, but you know we don't see them, but we hear about them. <laughs> that well must be it must make for an interesting soundtrack. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's set in a town that's well kind of um almost canada um and uh, the playwright john cariani knows a little bit about that part of the country as does director wayland bunnell um because it's in the it's in the north country and the north country 
is, well, you know, it's a little different than the southern belt of New Hampshire. I'm when I was a congressman, Wayland, uh, I I loved the North Country, and I actually opened the first ever um, congressional office um, in Berlin, New Hampshire, um, because I I really cared about the North Country and its people and. Uh, uh, it is, has been sometimes a challenging place for folks to live as uh, the economic climate has waxed and waned and a lot of the big factories that were up there and big industries have left and um, the North countries faced economic challenges. That, uh, frankly, that's one of the reasons why when I was a congressman, I, I, I actually uh, uh, helped start uh, an agency to bring economic development to the North country and the northern belt of New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, uh, wow. where we've, we've been able to see a lot of federal investment, new federal investment in, in, in helping um, the North Country. But when, you know, it, it, it sounds like a really perfect place to um, set a, a show like this, um, the, the, the last gas station, the last convenience store, uh, in America, um, before you before you hit hit Canada, uh, is you know I mean when I think about some of the some of the great plays um, by some of the great playwrights, it it's the perfect kind kind of uh, perfect kind of location. Uh, who who did the set for this show? Oh well, your friend Steve LaJoy, um, who I've known for as long as I've been in the Players, he actually oh. was one of the builders on Annie. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I asked him when I knew what the set required, I called him right away to see if he would do it. Because um, it's a convenience store, you've got to suggest the gas station, and there's an upstairs apartment. So mm. it, it's not a full two story set, but he's, he's set the apartment up about four or five feet off the stage. So it's kind of behind the convenience store and up. Um, so we're going to do the rest with lights where we can isolate areas in terms of where the action is going on. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a massive set. I mean, just really massive. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. uh, it must have been a, a, quite a job to build it and get it, get it done. Is it, is it built yet? Oh, it's built and painted and the set decorations pretty well, almost complete. Um, yeah. yeah, everything's ready. I mean, we're just done. We have to get into the audience do lights and sound and technical stuff, and then it's ready to go. And how long have rehearsals been? They, it's been about, I think about seven weeks, maybe eight weeks. And we had a couple last fall, but you know, we got postponed. So we really only barely started. Um, so it really was about a seven, seven week, eight week uh, production cycle, rehearsal cycle. And right. then we're in the auditorium for a week to get all the technical stuff figured out. Right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the playwright who's had a really fascinating career. John Cariani, um, he hails from way up in northern Maine, and that's where his plays are set. Um, some people say it's the edge of what's wild and what is not. Um, <laughs> but and and the players have have seen two other of his plays, as you mentioned, almost Maine. Uh, and then there was a show called Love Sick uh, at the Hatbox Theater back in 2018. Um, so it looks like Cariani is, is kind of 
popular with the Concord community players. And uh, his show, Almost Maine, has had a, a pretty interesting history. Um, in preparation for today, Wayland, I, I went and uh, and and looked on, online to find find some things out about Cariani. He's he's a very accomplished actor, and we could talk about his roles off Broadway and on Broadway. Um, uh, he he made his way from way up north down down to New York, and has had a, a really interesting career as as an actor. Um, but his his play, uh, Almost Maine, premiered uh, at the Portland Stage Company in 2004. It, was, it, it garnered critical acclaim. It broke box office records there. And it was named one of the 10 must-see shows in the Wall Street Journal's regional roundup back when it premiered in, in 2005. But when, when it hit New York originally, um, it didn't do very well. There was there was something about it that rubbed the New York critics the wrong way, right? What what, what was that about? Well, I'm kind of not surprised because the the character of people in far northern isolated regions is really different from the urban character, or you even think? the suburban character. I got out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's really different, and there's there's a couple of references to people in New York and what they're like in the play, so I can see where that would kind of rub them the wrong way. Um, <laughs> you mean you know, thin-skinned those, New Yorkers? Yeah, forget about it. Forget about it. Come on, forget about it. Yeah, the lead character um, asks, "Are people really that loud down there?" And uh -huh. the Lorene answers basically answers, "Yeah, everybody wants to be heard, and nobody wants to listen." <laughs> Yeah. So, well, and it's pretty yeah. noisy, you know. Yeah, I it mean, is pretty noisy. I've been there several uh, times. It's very noisy. I've been there several times. I grew up there, and oh, uh, right. and, and it's and it, it's pretty noisy. But you know, the it, it's so interesting to think about a show like like Ariani's show, Almost Maine, which I mean, it was just savaged in New York. It got yeah new. You know, in, in 2010, after after a couple of years of almost Maine um, being out in the world, New York Times had a headline, quote, New York flop becomes a hit everywhere else. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, uh, you know, the executive and artistic director of the Portland stage, when they staged it up in up in Portland, uh, wrote, quote, after being spurned by a cynical New York, almost Maine blossomed away from the big cities. So here you had this play by a, by a, by a, a, a you know, a, a resident of Northern Maine who's come to New, New York and made a career for himself as a successful actor and then a, a playwright. And he writes this sort of sweet, episodic love story kind of play that's just savaged by in New York, but it goes on to become a huge regional hit. Um, uh, the show, Actually, yeah. There, there have been over 5,000 productions of Almost Maine in the United States. I, that's 5, incredible. 000. Yeah, that's incredible. In, that's incredible. That, that, like, that, over, that, that might be more than Shakespeare. <laughs> 
has yeah. has has ever been performed. So there's something about the show and Cariani's writing that really captures something essential that speaks to a lot of people outside of the large uh, urban areas because almost Maine has had such a success that not only has it had 5,000 productions, it was recorded um, when it was uh, produced in uh, 2014 off-Broadway by the Transport Group um, for the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center. It was named the most performed full-length play in United States high schools in 2016 and 17. It's become a book for young adults. Now there's a talk of a television series uh, for Cariani's play. Um, what, what do you think about Cariani's writing? Um, is so attractive to high schools and regional theaters. What is it? Well, the, the North Country people and, and, and John's writing and his dialogue, it's just very plain spoken. I mean, what is not said is, is just as important as what is said. Uh, but what is said is often, you know, to the point and abrupt. And um, sometimes it's very cryptic. Um, there are parts of the play that are just hysterically funny because, you know, we recognize our own foibles in the way these people talk and act. But much in the much like real life in the play, people actually talk over each other. I mean, when one actor is doing a line, the next line has to cut in three words before the end of the previous line. So they're, they're talking over each other, which is what people actually do in life. You know, you have a bunch of people together and almost nobody gets out a complete sentence before somebody jumps in and starts talking. So um, when I read it, I just love that kind of dialogue and the way he writes. Um, mm. The other thing that caught me was because I grew up in an isolated rural area near the Canadian border, I just instantly knew who these people were. You know, it was like visiting my hometown. Um, so I immediately knew I had to direct it. So I brought it to the players and said, look, I really want to do this play. You know, we need a play for one of the seasons and they picked it. So it got postponed a couple of times, but, but we're here. And I work, have worked really hard to honor the people and the location and John's writing and his intent with the play. Um, no, that thought just went out of my head. Um, oh, uh, people here in the, in more civilized areas or more urban areas or <laughs> suburban areas um, are just really nice to each other all the time. And Northerners are not. <laughs> so like really? two and a half, yeah, two and a half weeks into rehearsal. I mean, if you go into the North country from outside, people are going to treat you well. Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about how they are when nobody's looking. <laughs> oh. So that's why I always felt so welcomed and, yeah. you know, experienced generous hospitality up, up North, even though, I mean, I'm as outside as, you know, as, as you got, I was all the way down from Concord. Well, when I traveled, when I traveled to the North Country, and I'm wasn't an original New Hampshire native. Now these days, that's not that strange. There are a lot of folks who aren't New Hampshire natives who decide to come to the beautiful Granite State because it's beautiful and wonderful and eccentric, and uh, it's not in an in an urban in in a big urban setting. You know, I mean, uh, it's even hard to uh, when you compare 
Concord or even Manchester to New York City. It's uh, there's they're kind of different different animals. Um, I'm wondering whether whether audiences in Concord really appreciate the different quality of life uh, in the North Country, and I wonder whether this is a play that really helps um, uh, sort of foster an appreciation. Uh, and an understanding of what it's like uh, north of the notch. Well, I, that's my hope, you know. Um, as I said, I two or three weeks into rehearsal, I just looked at the cast and he said, guys, you're just being too nice to each other, you know. Mm -hmm. They're kind of leaning on each other. They're depending on each other and just being nice. And people in the north are just very independent, Um people don't want to depend on other people. They want to be strong and individual. And, and um, so I really have tried to move their kind of mood and attitude into more of a North Country kind of feel. Um, and it's been working really well. Um, we've had people watch the show in rehearsals and thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, people are laughing and clapping and having a great time just watching rehearsals. So it's a really fun show. Uh, it's informative. Um, when somebody asked me a question, I said, I, 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 I liken it to um, don't judge a book by its cover. Sure, um, sure, sure. Just because people are isolated and maybe uneducated and you know, working class or lower working class you know, don't make a whole lot of judgments about them. They're real people. They have feelings. They have lives. They have connections and disconnections, just like everybody else. Yeah. When I grew up in Colebrook, believe me, the notch is a dividing line in New Hampshire. Uh-huh. That's north of the notch. Yeah. We had a name for people below the notch. We call them Flatlanders. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, a lot of people in New Hampshire refer to anybody from Massachusetts as a flatlander. So yeah. it's 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 migrated a bit from the north to to generally accepted uh, descriptive speech in New Hampshire about people from from Mass Massachusetts. So uh, here's a question. Did you direct almost Maine for the players? No, uh, Wally Pino directed it, but I did the. Uh scene transitions i was sort of the tech director so that to make the scene transition smooth and sure sure so here's a question um when carrie cariani's play the last gas um uh it premiered in 2010 in portland maine at the portland stage company a, a really wonderful regional uh regional theater and when carrion when cariani was talking about the play he said Almost Maine is almost a love letter to Northern Maine. And Last Gas is a more realistic look at that part of the world. Um, and the play, Last Gas, which the players are putting on May 6, 7, and 8 at the Concord City Auditorium. For those of you who are listening to the show and want to see this must-see show, um, Last Gas was described as a bittersweet romance about two people who lack the courage to admit they love one another. When you're comparing the, the two shows, Almost Maine, which has become so wildly successful, and Last Gas, um, do you find that same comparison uh, is is right that last gas is a little more bittersweet, a little more realistic, and a little grittier than almost Maine. 
Uh, yeah, I do. I do. It's it's a little edgier. Um, almost Maine is very sweet, but there are couples in Almost Maine that don't make it either. You know, so um, there's couples that try to make it or don't try to make it or succeed in Last Gas, and you know, the it's going along for the ride and finding out what people are like and what motivates them and what's going on in their lives, uh, which is the exciting part. Um, but like I said, it's also, it just has some hysterically funny moments in it. Um, the whole first act is laughable. And throughout the, throughout the play, I don't know how John does it, but he slips in these little zinger lines that you don't see coming. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and you, you know, they just, it's just funny. Yeah. Uh, I can give you an example. Um, when, Nat is talking to his old girlfriend on the phone and she's asking to come over without thinking. He says he, he knows she's there to bury her mother because the ground is thawed. But his line is, I hope the ground's thawed enough to put her in it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Which right. is a little bit edgy and kind of hard. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't talk but, about putting yeah, bodies but, in the ground. You know, that's not the way we handle yeah, but it. It's true. So take us through some of the cast members who who's in who's in the show um, and uh, what's been their experience with the players. Uh, well, we have. Four of the six actors have never done a player show before, so. Only two of them have. The two that have are Ryan Flaherty, who came up through the Children's Theater Project. Uh -huh. But this is his first adult main stage show. So it's his first time working with adults. Um, and uh, Jerry Smith, uh, who plays the best friend guy, was in The Full Monty and The Drowsy Chaperone. He's been on our stage um, a number of times. He was in Big the Musical. He was one of the two guys dancing on the keyboard that lighted up. Mm -hmm. uh, then the other people, Eric Stanley, who plays the father, Dwight, uh, worked a lot with um, Sandcastle Productions. Uh, he recently completed a production of Greater Tuna at the Hatbox with Andrew uh, Pennard. And I had worked with Eric once before when we were both in the cast of 1776 with Sandcastle. So I knew him a little bit. Um, then Patrick McGranigan, is new to us and he's not done theater for 10 or 15 years. You know, he's mm -hmm. one of those people that did it and stopped. And now he's, he's started to come back. Heather Carmichael plays Cherry Tracy, the forest ranger who thinks she's the law in town. The, the um, tough, the tough, the tough yeah. law, the tough law enforcer. Exactly. And she's actually got a, went to college for theater, has a bachelor's and a master's in theater. Mm -hmm. Um, the other woman, Suzanne Watts, also has a degree in theater, and they both studied overseas, and they haven't been, they have, both of them have not done theater for 10 or 15 years. They took a break for careers or family or whatever. So I have three of my people are back from a long break in doing theater. Hmm. And um, so was it was that challenging for you as a director to work with people who had done theater uh, but had taken such an extensive break uh, from being on stage and working with lines and working with other actors? It, it wasn't a challenge for me as far as working with an actor. What was intimidating was the fact that two of the people had theater degrees and had studied theater and had been professional or semi-professional actors. I mean, I have worked with professional actors before, but it's still that whole old thing about 
not having studied theater or learned theater in an educational setting still haunts me. You know, I still feel a little intimidated, but I got over it and we're all doing really well. You know, it didn't, it didn't take me long and they've all adjusted really quickly. I mean, nobody, it was like for all of them, it was like getting back on a bicycle and riding it again. So right. it's been a really seamless rehearsal process. So it's been, amazing. you know, my, my own experience, um, I, I, I studied a bit, um, in at college i was at dartmouth college i went to the national theater institute uh in waterford connecticut at the eugene o'neill theater center which really was my most serious my, my most serious training college was a a time when uh, you know i could i could stretch and 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 learn at the same time i'll never forget some of my student productions with the director desperately trying to get me to figure out how i could do what what i had to do at the time i forget i forget the show i just remember how frustrated the director was but that was all part part of the learning uh, part of the part of the learning learning process, but college is a good time to um, to to learn theater. But academic training isn't you know the the be all the be all and the end all. After after college and even during college, I did some professional training in in New York, and then I was headed for a career as an actor um, and uh, got cast in a show off Broadway in 1970. Uh, two or three after I'd graduated called what's a nice country like you doing in a state like this. And I, I, I mean, I went on and I had, I, I tell people I had eight careers in show business before, before I, I went to law school, but you know, I mean, I never, I never really lost my acting chops. I, I auditioned for the community players when I, when I got to Concord and w did some, did some great shows. Uh, it's a tre tremendous organization with a tremendous, gives people a tremendous opportunity to participate in theater at, at a very high level um, with experienced directors uh, like you, Waylon. So I really, I really appreciate um, your taking on the challenge and um, helping us see uh, a new show for the community players by John Cariani, the actor and playwright. It's called Last Gas. It will be presented May 6, 7, and 8 at the Concord City Auditorium. Evening performances Friday, Saturday, matinee on Sunday. Community Players. Um, what's the website? Um, it's communityplayersofconcord.org. Good. Folks, check it out, and we'll see you again on Capital Close-Up.